Scripture reading this evening is taken from Revelation chapter 13, verses 11 through 18. Uh, if you're following along in the Red Pew Bible, it's going to be page number 1035. Again, that's Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the, by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and that might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. About a year ago, I received a phone call and it was an invitation to come to an area congregation here in the Houston area and speak. And they were having a, uh, a gospel meeting and invited a number of different speakers. And we kind of worked, uh, the preacher and I, on the schedule and, and got everything set. And then as I was getting ready to hang up, he said, oh, by the way, your topic is 666, the mark of the beast. Do I have it? What is it? and can people have it today? And then he hung up. <laughs> Sometimes I regret saying yes to some things and that was one of those occasions, but turned out to be a very profitable, very helpful study for me personally. I hope it will be for you as well. The Bible gives us a lot of things that we might be curious about, that we might have real questions regarding. And I think sometimes as we read scripture, God brings things up and he says things so that we'll be interested, so that we'll be fascinated, so that we will dive deeper into the meaning of his holy and his precious word. Everything that God writes is for our profit, it's for our benefit. Second Timothy chapter three, verses 16 and 17. And so it is with this section of scripture in Revelation 13, verses 11 through 18. The idea of this beast who marks people as we introduce the study, I want you to know that when you read the book of Revelation, everybody has a mark. Everybody. You're either marked by God or you're marked by the devil and those who are loyal to him. 
If you'll back up in your Bibles just briefly to Revelation chapter 7 and look at verses 1 and 2. Revelation 7 verses 1 and 2. Notice the Bible says that there were four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds. And the Bible says in Revelation 7 verse 2, I saw another angel ascending from the east having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and, he, and the sea. And he said, Revelation 7 verse 3, do not harm the earth the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. So as you read the book of Revelation, those who are the servants of God have a seal. Not only are their names written in the Lamb's book of life as we discussed this morning, but they are marked as being loyal to God, servants of his. But then when you turn to Revelation 13 and verse 18, 17 and 18, in Revelation 13, 17, and 18, this beast that is loyal to the devil, we'll discuss him in just a moment, but the Bible says he causes, in verse 16, all those small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, that is the number or the number of his name. And so those who are loyal to God and serve him, in Revelation 7, 1 through 3, they have a mark. And those who are against God, those who are loyal to the dragon, to the beast, they have a mark as well. And that's worth keeping in mind. Because what Revelation says at its very core is this. There is a war going on and you've got to pick a side. The war is one that is between God and those who are loyal to him and the devil and his forces. And you have a responsibility to decide who you are going to be loyal to. You're in a war, choose a side. As you think about the book of Revelation, and we talked about this at length last time on last Sunday night, Revelation is a book that comes from God. It's giving us information about Jesus, about the will of Christ in our lives. Revelation chapter one, verse one, it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And not only that, it's a book of symbols, a lot of symbolic literature being given to us in the book of Revelation. It's a book of assurance and hope for people who were struggling and dealing with some very, very difficult circumstances back in the first century. This book was written to give them assurance, to know that God was with them, that he had not forgotten them, and that all they needed to do was hold on to their faith. All they needed to do is remain loyal to the Lamb. Whoever overcomes, I will give a crown of life, Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. What great assurance the book of Revelation gives to us even today. But the book of Revelation is also written as a warning. You cannot compromise with the devil and his associates. And especially when you read Revelation chapter 13, that is the emphasis of this particular section. If you're looking at Revelation 13 in your Bibles, I want you to notice verse 10. In Revelation 13 verse 10, John describes a beast that comes out of the sea and he says at the end of this particular section in Revelation 13, verse 10, there is patience and faith of the saints. You see that at the end of Revelation 13, verse 10? What do saints need? They need patience, endurance. They need faith in God. But then as you look at Revelation 13 and verse 18, what else do saints need? In Revelation 13, verse 18, the saints need wisdom as well. In order to face these dreadful foes in order to stand up against this difficult circumstance, 
the Christians that lived in that circumstance needed they patience, they needed endurance, excuse me, faith, and they needed wisdom, according to Revelation 13, verse 10, and Revelation 13, verse 18. So as we kind of look at this particular section of scripture and what it can tell us today, what I'd like for us to do is this. I'd like for us, first of all, to notice the main characters in this particular unfolding of literature. It's apocalyptic literature, but it's important to notice who the characters are, what's happening. Then secondly, we're going to notice the mark itself, the mark of the beast in verses 16 through 18 of Revelation 13. Then we're going to notice the temptation. What is it specifically that Christians were being tempted to do? And then finally, it's relevance for us today. What can we learn in 2019 AD that's gonna help us to be faithful to our Lord? Notice with me, first of all, this evening, the characters of this particular passage. If you got one of the handouts on the way in, I kind of delineated the characters for you so you can just jot down maybe a scripture reference or two or some notes about each one of these. But really this particular account goes all the way back to chapter 12 of Revelation and it continues through the end of chapter 13, even really into chapter 14. Notice the characters that are involved here. First of all, the lamb. Do not neglect the fact that the lamb is a prominent, a preeminent character in this particular study. Back in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, the saints and those who are loyal to God, they stand up against the devil, and the Bible says they overcome him by the blood of the lamb, Revelation 12, 11. By the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives to the death. The lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is the key to this and every other passage in Revelation. What is he doing? What are those around him doing to try to thwart him and his purposes? And those who are loyal to Jesus overcome by the blood of the lamb, it says. Then look at verse 17 of Revelation 12. The Bible says, the dragon was enraged with the woman. He went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and who also keep the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so as we think about the lamb who is Jesus, not only do we overcome by his blood, but we overcome by holding on to the testimony of the lamb. And so as you read through this particular section, section of scripture, Christians are standing with Jesus. They are overcoming by his blood. They are holding on to his testimony, even up to the point of their own death. And in Revelation chapter 13, verse eight, notice this. The Bible says all who dwell on earth, Revelation 13, 8, will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There's that book again, a book that has the names of those who are his, those who belong to the lamb. And so as you read this particular account, notice that the lamb has a will, he has a people, and he has a will for his people. They are to hold on to their testimony. Secondly, notice this character as we think about this section, the dragon. Back in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, you don't have to speculate about who the dragon is because the Bible tells you. In Revelation 12, verse 9, it says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Notice in verse 17 of Revelation 12 that the dragon, Satan, is enraged with the saints. He is at war with the people of God. He is doing his best to make havoc of those who belong to Jesus Christ. Don't think that he's given up that fight, by the way. 
He still is after the church. He still is interested in what's going on with the church. And he still is doing everything he can to undermine that which is right and godly. The devil, the dragon, he is angry and he knows he has a short time and he knows that he is lost, but he still is angry with the people of God and wants to do everything he can to undermine God's will and God's purpose. Now, as you get into Revelation 13, you'll notice that the devil, Satan, the dragon, he has a couple of entities, a couple of organizations, a couple of groups that cooperate with him. Some organizations, some groups, some entities that are doing what he wants. Two in particular in Revelation 13. First, verses 1 through 10 of Revelation 13 mentions a sea beast. You see it? Revelation 13 verse 1. I stood on the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. This beast is grotesque. It has seven heads and ten horns. On his horns, seven crowns, and on his heads, a blasphemous name. We made the point last week in our study on Sunday night that there's a really good case to be made. If you compare this section with Daniel chapter 7, there's a really good case to be made for the idea that John is talking about. He's identifying Rome, the nation of Rome 2,000 years ago as this particular beast coming out of the sea. And the reason why he identifies Rome as this beast is because Rome was at war with the saints. It was persecuting the people of God. And if you notice what this sea beast does, he cooperates with the devil. In fact, if you look at Revelation 13 verse 2, the Bible says at the end of Revelation 13 verse 2 that it was the dragon who gave this beast his power, his throne, and great authority. You think about that for just a minute. The devil who is working against the church, who is working against the people of God, at this particular time in history was given the opportunity to give authority and power to a nation, this sea beast, so that it could make war with the saints as well. And that's exactly what this sea beast did. Look at verse 7 of Revelation 13. To him it was granted, Revelation 13, 7, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so this beast has great power, has great authority given to it by the dragon, by Satan. And his goal, this sea beast, is to make war with the saints. He's at war with Christians. What we have in view here, brothers and sisters and friends, in the first 10 verses of Revelation 13 is anti-Christian government. Historically, that's what Rome was. It was an anti-Christian entity. It worked against the church. It worked against the people of God. It was Rome. It was a Roman consul who put Jesus on the cross, Pontius Pilate. And the Romans persecuted the church mercilessly at various periods throughout history. And so you've got this sea beast that's working with in cooperation with the devil. Then you have another beast. Look at verses 11 through 18, character number four, the earth or the land beast. In verse 11, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and he spoke like a dragon. Interesting. In Revelation 13, verse 11, he has horns like a lamb. In other words, he kind of comes across as maybe being docile or friendly or or somebody who's got your best interest at heart, but when he opens his mouth to speak, he sounds like the devil. There's always been an element of 
that in false teaching, always. False teaching, characteristically, those who teach false doctrines and those who would lead you astray, they look like your friend. They sound like someone who's really got your best interest at heart. They're very kind sometimes. They're very interested in you sometimes. But when they open their mouths, they speak like a dragon. They speak the things that the devil would have them to speak. Well, that's what this earth beast seems to be doing as well. It has horns like a lamb, but it gives words that sound like a dragon. The devil loves to imitate God. He loves to imitate the things of God. And so what is the second beast's purpose? Well, look at verse 12 of Revelation 13. The second beast exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. So the second beast serves the first beast who serves the dragon. In other words, the devil uses this government and this second beast seems to be some kind of religious authority that's causing you to worship the government. And if you look historically, that's exactly what was happening in Rome in certain places 2,000 years ago. There were emperors who thought of themselves as gods. And it wasn't just rhetoric. I mean, they literally thought they were gods. And when you came into their presence, you were supposed to address them as your, your holy lordship. You were supposed to address them as being divine. And if you didn't do that, you were in a lot of trouble. And so this earth beast seems to represent kind of the idea that there are some religious overtones to what's being done in this earthly government that serves the devil. There's a war going on. The devil's angry with the saints. And Revelation's being written to some people who would have read this and they would have immediately identified, oh yes, we know who the sea beast is. And they would have immediately identified, oh yes, we know who the land beast is. We know all about that. We know all about this beast that was making war with us and trying to undermine the things of God. Those are the characters. The devil is angry, he has great wrath, and he's at war with God's people. Now let's turn our attention secondly this evening to the mark. Look at verses 16 through 18. In verse 16, the Bible says, this, sea, this land beast, the second one, he causes all, Revelation 13, verse 16, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Notice some characteristics of the mark of the beast. As you just read the text, just notice what it says. Where does the mark come from? First question, what's its origin? Verse 16 tells you, the second beast causes people to have the mark. So this government, this religious group that is promoting worship of the emperor, worship of the government, this religious entity is causing people to have this mark, whatever it is, that's where it comes from. If you turn over to Revelation 14 and look at verse 9. In Revelation 14, verse 9, a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, Revelation 14, 9, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. So here's an angel warning Christians again and saying, Do not 
receive the mark. Do not do whatever it is that causes you to receive the mark on your hand or on your forehead. Don't go in with this second beast. Secondly, as you look at this mark, notice its location. On your forehead, on your hand. I don't know about you, but it occurs to me that those are some pretty obvious places. You know, a lot of people, they get tattoos on their arms and then they might wear long sleeves to cover up those tattoos. But if you got a tattoo or a mark on your, fore, on, on, your, uh, on your hand, it's really hard to cover that up, isn't it? If you got a tattoo across your forehead, it's really hard to hide that, isn't it? And so the idea is, not that this is a literal mark, but the idea is that whatever it is that you do to receive this mark, it's very obvious that you've done it. There's an obvious evidence that you have worshiped the beast. Notice the recipients, verse 16. This beast causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Brothers and sisters and friends, mark it well. The devil is interested in everybody. He does not discriminate. He is happy when you join his cause. He is happy when you give in to temptation. He is interested in you. He's interested in the great. He's interested in the small. He's interested in the rich. He's interested in the poor. He is after souls. He's after yours. That's why the Bible says, he who wins souls is wise. Proverbs 11 verse 30. Notice the benefits. There are benefits to having this mark. Verse 17 tells you what the benefits are very practically. It says in verse 17 that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So the benefit is this. If I go and I get the mark, whatever it is, and it's obvious that I have the mark, it's on my hands, on my forehead, it's obvious that I have worshiped the beast, then I get the benefit of being able to buy and sell. I can go down to the marketplace and maybe I can sell my wares, my product. Or maybe I can go and I can purchase some goods. And before I check out at the cash register, somebody asks, hey, wait a minute, do you have the mark? And I have to produce evidence that I have the mark of the beast before I can cash out, I can take my goods with me. So there's benefits to having the mark. An added benefit, if you back up to verse 15, is this, you won't be killed. See that in verse 15? Those who would not worship the image of the beast can be caused to be killed, it says. So there's some benefits to having this mark, according to Scripture. The symbolic idea of this mark, look at verses 17 and 18. It's equated with a name and a number of the beast, something that can be seen. So the idea in verses 17 and 18 is this. We're not talking about a literal stamp on your hand or a little literal stamp on your forehead, but we're talking about something that early Christians would have recognized, they would have known. If I participate in this, I have identified myself with the dragon and with the beasts that serve him. And I just can't have any part of that. It's a symbolic idea. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 begins, this calls for wisdom, or here is wisdom. You see that? And then it goes on and says, let him who has understanding calculate. You might circle or underline that word. 
because that is what has caused a lot of people problems for lots of years. Calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. So if I receive the mark, whatever it is, I can buy and sell, and I'm not going to be killed. Those are good things. But God says, here's wisdom. If you really know what's good for you, Christian, you will calculate some things. It is the same word calculate that Jesus uses in Luke 14, verse 28, when he says, count the cost. Luke 14, 28, count the cost. Calculate. How much is it going to cost for me to follow Jesus? How much is it going to cost for me to serve him and to be loyal to him? That same word is what you find in Revelation 13, verse 18, the word calculate. Now, some people have taken that word and they've gone all kinds of directions. The ancient Hebrews had a system of numerology where they would assign numeric uh, uh, numbers to the various letters of the alphabet. And then they would spell out letters and they would, they would add them up and they'd come up with numbers. And so some people think that's exactly what's being done here, that we're supposed to figure out who it is that's number is 666. And so there have been all kinds of entertaining possibilities over the years. The Latin man, if you spell that out in certain languages, the Latin man can be spelled out and can equal 666. Some people try to make it mean Nero Caesar because Nero was obviously a persecutor of early Christians. Some people have tried to spell out the name Diocletian, another Roman emperor who persecuted Christians. Later on, people in history tried to identify some, some uh, individuals like Julian the Apostate, and they said, that's the guy. He's the one whose number is 666 because they're taking the letters of his name and they're scrambling and rearranging and, and making it mean this particular number. Some have tried to identify Martin Luther as being the mark of the beast. The idea continues even to our own century. I've seen personally people try to identify Adolf Hitler, Henry Kissinger, and believe it or not, Ronald Wilson Reagan as the one whose name adds up to 666. I don't know that that's any of that is what God intended for us to do here. By the way, there's a mathematical curiosity for those of you who are math nerds. If you add up every integer in the series between 1 and 36, you get 666. Just thought that was mathematically curious. So go from 1 to 36, add every number in succession, and you get that number, 666. But I don't know that calculating in those kinds of ways is what God really had in mind. Here's the point. The first century readers knew exactly what this meant, brothers and sisters. They were facing a crisis of faith. There was something that they were being tempted to do that involved worshiping someone or something that was not the lamb. And in exchange for doing this act of worship, whatever it was, they would get some kind of mark that showed that they had worshiped this entity that was not the lamb. And by having this mark, having this, this, this seal, this whatever it is, they could go and buy and sell. They could provide for their families. And there was no longer a threat on their lives because they had the mark. It was like a get out of jail free card. I don't have to go and be burned at the stake or hung on a cross or thrown to the lions in the Colosseum because I have this mark. And there's a great temptation there. And God is saying in verse 18, don't be deceived. 
Calculate it. The number of the beast is the number of a man. It is 666. That is, you are identifying yourself with something that is earthly, that is worldly, that is flat out demonic. When you go and you receive this mark, stay away from it, Christian. That's what God's saying. Christians needed instruction. Here is wisdom, verse 18. Earlier he called for endurance and faith in verse 10, but now he's saying you Christians need wisdom. You need to think about what you're doing when you try to worship this particular beast to get this seal. Number three tonight, let's talk about the temptation itself. Why was it such a struggle for Christians? Why was it so hard for them to, to deal with this? I mean, you and I have probably never faced anything like what they're facing here, where somebody has come to you and basically put a gun to your head and said, either bow down and worship this entity, this person, this government, whatever it is, or if you don't repent, if you, if you don't bow down and worship, then there are going to be some severe consequences, maybe even your own life. What were these Christians being tempted to do? They were being tempted, number one, to receive the mark. And by that, we mean that they were being tempted to make a specific, deliberate, obvious choice that showed that they had worshiped the beast. That was a real temptation for early Christians. Because if you, receive, if you refuse to receive the mark, you're going to suffer and you might even die. And I mean, think about it. If you're like me, I've got a wife and two kids. They depend on me. And you think through this for just a minute. I can't provide for my family if I don't receive the mark of the beast. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, if, if a man will not provide for his own, then he's denied the faith and become worse than an unbeliever. And so I, I need to do this because I need to be able to provide for my family, don't I? Not only that, but, but I might be tempted because, you know, the Bible tells me in 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2, that we're supposed to try as Christians to live quiet lives and peaceable lives. And I mean, if the government wants me to go and to, and to do whatever it is, I don't have to mean it. I can just go and, and I can do whatever they want me to do and I can receive the mark, I can receive the certificate, whatever it is, I can buy and sell and my life's not in danger anymore. So is, is this really necessary for me to take a, I mean, do I need to make a stand right here? That's what Revelation 13 is saying. Yes, you do need to make a stand, Christian. Yes, you do need to refuse to receive the mark of the beast. And most people, it looks like, even some Christians were apparently doing this. And imagine how frustrating and how confusing it would be to be a member of the church where a good number of the Christians that you're worshiping with have already gone down and they've got their mark. And you're still kind of wrestling with this and wondering, do I need to go and get a mark myself? Because sure would make life easier. The Bible says don't follow a multitude to do evil. Exodus 23 verse 2. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters and friends, modern day application. Just because we see other Christians participating in something does not mean it is inherently right. Just because I see my fellow Christians involved in an activity and nobody seems to be calling them on it or nobody seems to be saying something about it does not mean that God approves of that activity necessarily. And even in the first century, there were some Christians who were taking this mark and saying, well, why don't you go and get a mark yourself? 
Not only that, but this was a pressure that didn't go away. It was a temptation that didn't just come once and you've got to make your decision and then you're done. This was a temptation that lingered because every single day you're not able to buy and sell. Every single day you are under threat of your very life. Think about that. That's pressure. That's why Revelation 13 is written. Because God is saying, I'm just going to expose the whole thing. This is the dragon, and this is the sea beast, and this is the land beast, and they are working against you, and you need to calculate the number. You need to think about what it is that you are being pressured to do. So the Bible's saying that these Christians needed three things. I repeat, they needed three things. They needed endurance, verse 10, a willingness to hold on to what they knew to be right. And we need endurance today, brothers and sisters, a willingness to hold on to what we know the Bible says is right. Secondly, they needed faith. Faith in verse 10 has to do with realizing and believing that God is going to set things right in his time not necessarily ours. How long do I have to refuse to receive this mark of the beast? Don't ever have anything to do with it, God would say. Well, how long is this going to be a temptation? How long is this going to be a pressure? As long as it takes. Just have faith in me. And then they needed wisdom. Think about this temptation. Count the cost of what it means to be faithful to Jesus Christ in this circumstance. That's the temptation. Number four tonight, the relevance for Christians today. I believe there are some things that are relevant for us, even in 2019 AD. Number one, we need to realize that our lives are all about the Lamb. Do you hear me? When you decide to become a Christian, your life is all about Him. It's all about serving Him. It's all about becoming more like him. It's all about being faithful to him. It's all about holding on to his testimony. That's what your life is all about. And furthermore, if you decide to be loyal to the lamb, the same exact forces that put the lamb on the cross are going to start to work against you. Just by virtue of being associated with him, just by virtue of your obedience to him, those same forces that put the lamb on the cross are going to work against you in your life, and you need to realize that as a Christian. And don't give in just because things get difficult. And don't give in just because it looks like there might be a more convenient way. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 that the apostles rejoiced after they'd been beaten and released. They'd rejoice that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. You and I need to realize our lives are bound up with the Lamb, and it's a war. Relevance number two, we need to calculate some things. Verse 18, let him who has understanding calculate. I believe there's some things we need to calculate today. And what I mean by that is, we are to have nothing to do with evil. We are not to have any participation with that which is wicked. We are not to support, to encourage, to cooperate with, or to celebrate that which is evil. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. 
God's people are to stand for what's right. And we need to calculate some things. We need some thinkers among us. And what I mean by saying that is we need some folks that are thinking about what is the world saying to us constantly because if we're not careful by not being thinkers, by not really listening to and critiquing what we're hearing, not only are we going to be led astray, but we're, not only, we're, we're, we're going to be led astray not only by what's being said, but by the very assumptions that underlie what's being said. We need Christians who are calculating and thinking about what is the world telling us and where are we being tempted and where are we being challenged? God's people need to calculate some things. Asking questions like this, can I participate in this particular endeavor, in this particular activity and still be loyal to the Lamb? Can I? Can I participate in this particular recreation or entertainment? Or can I make this my job and still be loyal to the Lamb? We need to calculate some things. And by the way, when these Christians calculated some things, it meant that life was going to be kind of difficult for them. But it's still about being faithful, about being loyal, and about putting our trust in Him. And you can't just say, well, I'll just go through the motions and I'll do this and I won't mean it. It doesn't work. Whoever lies and worships the beast, he has identified himself with the beast, whether we mean it or not. We need to be loyal to the lamb. And then number three, relevance for today. Brethren, the only victory that counts, the only victory that counts is found in Jesus Christ. Parents need to hear that. We are so zealous for our kids to grow up and to get a well-rounded education and we want them to be successful by our idea of what success is that a lot of times we've bought in uncritically to what the world is telling us is right and good. And we may be guilty of selling the victory that's found in Jesus Christ for some lesser victory. The church needs to hear that. We get so caught up in numbers and budget numbers and construction projects that we sometimes forget that the only victory that really matters is the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. The world needs to hear this because the world is all about winning. It's all about success. It's all about doing and accomplishing and achieving. But ultimately, the only thing that's worth anything in this world is the victory that we find in Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice before we close this lesson, Revelation 14 verses 1 through 7, I want you to notice that right after God says, calculate this number, the number of the beast, and have nothing to do with it, God shows the Christians a vision of those who are loyal to the Lamb, standing with Him in victory, having their Father's name written on their foreheads. Revelation 14 verse 1. That's the victory that counts. That's what's important in our lives. Do you know Jesus? Is your name written in his book? Are you loyal to his testimony? Those are questions worthy of reflection. If we can help you obey the gospel this evening, if we can help you to come to Jesus Christ, or if we can pray for you and pray with you, we're going to offer heaven's invitation at this time. Won't you come forward while, we, while together we stand and while we sing?